Now, what I want you to do is um, get a little imagination going here. Let's go back uh, a couple thousand years and um, imagine yourself, put yourself into a place of a Jewish person. And um, back in the days of the early church, right? As the church was starting to grow. And you start to see all these, uh, maybe somebody in your family, maybe uh, cousins, maybe friends being converted to Christianity. Then uh, you too become convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. And you become a part of the church, but you're still Jewish. You grew up uh, learning the Torah and all the Jewish customs and all the things they did. You were raised up in Judaism. You still practice all the rituals and the ceremonies because that's just what you've always done. That's just been your way of life. And so you never really give up the distinctiveness of your Jewishness, but you're still a follower of Christ. You want to follow Him, and uh, you don't see any difference uh, at first. Um, But as time goes on, you learn that there are many Gentiles that are being joined to the church. You've got Jews and Gentiles, right? Matter of fact, a time comes when the Gentiles are outnumbering by far the Jewish people. So, and it seems like that it's a little bit too easy for them to be a part of the church because they don't get circumcised and they don't go through any of the rituals or ceremonies. They uh, just supposed to be a part of the church. It just doesn't seem fair that they're at least the 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 men, uh, the boys are not circumcised. It just doesn't seem right. And uh, there's nothing that brought them in outside of uh, there was a baptism. Uh, but the problem started becoming bigger. And it started affecting maybe a lot of Jewish people, especially if they were really raised up in a uh, very legalistic aspect anyway. And what happened as time went on, there was a great controversy that started coming up. And we know the issue. The issue was the circumcision and all the ceremonies and rituals. But the controversy became stronger and stronger to where it was about to blow apart the church. Now, according to the doctrine that the apostles taught, there is nothing to be added to faith. Justification by faith. There's nothing to be added to grace. There's nothing to be added to Christ. And that's the things that the apostles had taught. And, of course, the Gentiles were not going to become Jews, at least in um, most parts. But the strife really started happening. And this brought to the point where that church had to have a council had to have a big meeting, the first church council. And what means of incorporation was God using to bring a believing community together? Uh, what what was He using to bring people into the church? And many are insisting on this circumcision thing. So it's becoming very disturbing. And of course, Paul has had to address this, and Barnabas. 
uh, it's it's getting a, a little bit out of control. There has to be some kind of division that had to be happening there over this mar- uh, matter, and of course a lot of people are alarmed. And what was going to happen if they didn't do something it was just going to split the church up. You would have a Jewish church and you'd have a Gentile church. And of course that's not what God had intended all along anyway. So this first church council in Jerusalem is of utmost importance. And uh, it's a unanimous decision when they uh, come down with that decision that particular day. And of course it liberated the gospel and gave the Jewish Gentile church identity as the body of Christ. But there had to be some kind of um, strife over this and um, there's always been religious strife in, in, in the church. J.C. Ryle, many of you are probably familiar with him, he uh, was back in the 1800s, in the 19th century, um, he was an Anglican bishop, he wrote this, Controversy and religious strife, no doubt, are odious things. But there are times when they are positive necessity. Unity and peace are very delightful, but they are bought too dear if they are bought as the expense of truth. It is a pity, no doubt, that there should be so much controversy. But it's also a pity that human nature should be so bad as it is, and that the devil should be loose in the world. It was a pity that Arius taught error about Christ's person. But it would have been a greater pity if Athanasius hadn't opposed him. It was a pity that Tetzel went about preaching up the Pope's indulgences. It would have been a far greater pity if Luther had not withstood him. Controversy, in fact, is one of the conditions under which truth in every age has to be defended and maintained. And it is nonsense to ignore the Jerusalem Council teaches us that unity is wrong when it compromises the doctrine of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And then he finished up, May we join with Martin Luther in saying, Here I stand, I can do no other. God help me. So there are times when uh, the strife is going to be, even as odious as it can be, it has to be there because of truth. So the point is, the Jerusalem Council didn't debate that love and unity are more important than truth. They are important. They're stressed in the Bible, but they're not more important than truth. And so a lot of people say, we must set aside our quibbles. Um, whether a person is saved by grace through faith alone, grace alone, it really doesn't matter as long as we're all together and, and as one. What if we had kept that attitude? Then the church's truth would no longer be here. It wouldn't matter. The main thing is to affirm one another as brothers in Christ and not to divide over doctrine, right? Erwin Lutzer has a book out, had one out a long time ago, probably back in the 80s, Doctrines That Divide. And, of course, we've seen many of them as we've gone through some Old and New Testament books. Um, But anyway, the foundation of Christian unity is the truth of the gospel. And that's what we have to base it on, even though we don't like to divide. We don't like that. But uh, faith alone in Christ is what saves. It saves a person from God's judgment. And that is truth. And so we can't bend on that at all. Let's... uh, Let's pray.
Father, as we look at Your Word tonight, uh, as there was strife and there was dissension, and there were things going on in that very early church. We've seen so many good things happen with it, but at the same time, we know that where there is truth, there's always the devil that would like to come in and distort it and um, cause an uproar. And um, we thank You, Lord, that people have stood up for the truth over the course of the age of the church and you brought them up to be able to defend your great truth. And may we further learn learn how you work in the church as you do all things well and as you've raised up people in the very early church right from the outset to stand up for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we go ahead and read Acts 15. Starting at verse 1. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had a great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some of the others should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees, who had believed, stood up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. The apostles and elders came together to look into this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He also did to us. And He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. All the people kept silent. They were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Here at this Jerusalem council, you have the leaders of the church, of the Jerusalem church, the great church there. James, of course, is there. And he will finish um, the speeches up. You have Peter there. Uh, what a, an astounding group of people there. Paul and Barnabas are there. Great men of God to be able to stand up for this great needed truth, this doctrine. And here we have it. Well, there were some councils later on that are not recorded in the Bible because they were written after the the canon had already been finished. But in the city of Nicaea, there was a council there and it was dealing with the doctrine uh, that Arius was purporting. And he rejected the very divine nature and the pre-eternal birth of the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. So he didn't believe in his deity. Um, the the divinity of the Son of God. And he taught that the Son of God was uh, the best of creation. That, that's the best that he could give him, but he could not give him as being God. 
Of course, the council body of Christ came together there, representing the body of Christ, condemned and repudiated that heresy. That was Arian theology. You, ha- you still have that today. Jehovah's Witnesses, for instance. Any of the cults usually will deny the deity of Christ um, and uh, reject that the Son of God is truly God and eternal. He was begotten and made he's of one essence with God the Father. Right? We know that. But, I mean, those are precious truths to us. But they have had to be defended. And uh, so it was. There was another council, and uh, it was uh, in 381. And this council was uh, against an Arian bishop of Constantinople. His name was Macedonius, and he rejected the deity of the third person of the Trinity. Rejected the Holy Spirit. He taught that the Holy Spirit is not God. He called him a creature or a created power, and uh, therefore he was underneath the God the Father and God the Son. He was like an angel, but not really God. So the church once again had to come in and condemn that kind of heresy. There was another council, a third council, is in 431. It was in the city of Ephesus, and uh, false doctrine was taught by Nestorius. He was the Archbishop of Constantinople. And um, he said that Mary simply gave birth to this man, Jesus Christ, who then God united morally and dwelled in him as in a temple. Um, he had previously been dwelling in he had dwelled in Moses, for instance, and other prophets, and he called the Lord Jesus Christ God bearing, but not God incarnate. So and and of course uh, Mary was called the Christ bearer uh, and not the God bearer. Didn't see Jesus really as being God. Once again, the council uh, representing the body of Christ came in, repudiated that heresy. Uh, there were 200 bishops there. They were talking about the uh, Jesus Christ incarnation. There were two natures, the two natures, right, of Christ, divine and human and uh, that people would confess that Jesus Christ is God, Jesus Christ is man. And uh, so that was a really important one, wasn't it? Two natures of Christ. There was another one at Chalcedon, 451 A.D. Had to come together again. A guy by the name of Eutychus. He rejected the human nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. He re- uh, refuting one heresy and defended the divinity of Jesus Christ. Yeah, he's God, but he's not man, right? He had some like that. Others would say he's man, but not God. Um, anyway, his human nature was completely absorbed in the divine nature. So you only recognize one, the divine nature of God. Um, anyway, well, they condemned that, showed that Jesus Christ is perfect God, and as God, he's eternally born from God. He was absolute man, 100%, 100% God. And, uh, of course, those were revolving around the Trinity, revolving around who the person of Jesus Christ is, His natures. Um, one after another, they had to refute because those sides of that kind of doctrine were really building up and they were getting followers. Well, this is what's happening at this time. Now, can you imagine growing up you know, in a in a religion like that, then all of a sudden something changes. 
drastically. And it's like all those things that you had was really, it's not that important. Those rituals and ceremonies, that's not such a big deal, but that was what you grew up on. And you can imagine the people that set that aside, they, they were probably still attached to it. There are many we know that definitely were. So there's a dissension that we see right off the bat in the first uh, verse. Some men came down from Judea. Where are they at? You guys remember? Paul and Barnabas. They're in Antioch. This is not Jerusalem yet. They're in Antioch. And that's really where headquarters has started to, to, to really move. And of course, Jerusalem has all of its history there too. But, uh, and that's where they're going to have the council at. But uh, there's, you know, there's been peace, there's been tranquility in the church for the most part, and it's going to get shattered because there's an arrival of a group in Antioch where you have great men of God there and Paul and Barnabas being two of them. And uh, Paul will later call them troublemakers. We know about the letter to the Galatians. That's what this is all about. What a fight they had. Paul wrote a letter to the Galatians. We know that, right? It was written probably somewhere about where we're at. Some say between 14 and 15, and some say between right in chapter 15 and around verse, uh, verse 3, where they went on their way to Jerusalem. And maybe he started writing then. He had been there. Now he's heard what the Judaizers done. They followed up Paul and Barnabas' ministry. And they came in and started teaching their heresy of adding something on. Yeah, but you don't have it all. You know, you, you must have circumcision. So, you know, simple. We've heard it over and over, but um, this is a serious thing that's going on. Heresies like that damn people. That's how serious this is. And, you know, we embrace salvation by grace. Well, they did too. Salvation by grace through faith plus works. Of course, many of you are very familiar with Roman Catholicism. And that's what that is. What would Paul do with the Roman Catholic Church? Right? He would do the same thing as he was against these guys. Anybody. All the cults. Anybody that is embracing Christ plus anything else for salvation. Because he took it very seriously. So, and that's why he wrote the book of Galatians. Now here have this um, potential disaster, and they're trying to impose legalism on the Gentiles. And you could imagine maybe the Gentiles would maintain their grace salvation, while the Jewish church, if they would have split, would maintain it by law. And all the things that they had, you'd have two churches, just like the Roman Catholic Church split up, right? And of course, they had the East and the West. You have the Greek Orthodox, you have the Roman Catholic. Well, you can imagine the, the, the body of Christ, you know, having two different things going on and God never meant to be that way. If, um, if we look in Galatians, just for a moment, chapter 2, and about verse 11... We'll see kind of where we're at here. But when Cephas came to Antioch, this is 
you, Paul and Barnabas, now you have Cephas or Peter. Peter goes from Jerusalem all the way to Antioch. I opposed him to his face. You remember this section? Because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, and that's what's probably happening in our Acts 15, certain men from Jerusalem now have, are going all the way up to Antioch. That's a, that's a big church. That's kind of like a headquarters there. And Peter has come there and following behind him are these men. So Acts 15 and Galatians 2 could be very close at the same time, it, it appears to be. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. And of course, he remembers Cornelius and that whole story, right? But when they came the people from Jerusalem, he began withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. Oh, Paul is seething. Very angry of what it could do with the truth of the Gospel. That's how important it is. When I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? Hmm. We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Since the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. So Paul really hits on that. And now we have um, these men now in town coming to the church at Antioch. He couldn't have had a better man there at that time. That's why God had him there. Um, of course, they're insisting on the circumcision. And so, here's what Antioch does. They sent Paul and Barnabas out before on the first missionary journey. Verse 2, And Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them. You can imagine Paul standing up for this. What, what are debates going on? The brethren, that's at Antioch there, determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others should go up to Jerusalem. That's kind of like, you know, there you have the two great churches. Go to Jerusalem, get this settled quickly. Because now we see the danger. These guys came from there. Who knows how many down there? I say down, it's actually up, isn't it? Because it's a plateau. But if you're thinking going down south, <laughs> that's the reason we say down. But, of course, in the Bible, what's it saying here? You know, up to Jerusalem, right? So they determined that they should go there to the apostles, the elders, concerning this issue. They recognized, oh, this, this is serious. You know what? I think we can be very thankful that Antioch grasped how significant this really was. And so they took steps to resolve the issue. Let's send our best. Along with Paul and Barnabas, let's send some of the others. And um, so there it goes. This is the first time that they have uh, a council like this. Now, it's interesting. On their way to Jerusalem, therefore, verse 3, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. Now you're going to have 
mainly Jewish people who are you know, that have become Christians there. Uh, this is populated by Hellenistic Jews and Samaritans. And they weren't so hung up on the Jerusalem thing. And they weren't so legalistic. Um, they were in great joy. They were they were happy to talk to Paul and Barnabas and the other ones. I mean, what a fellowship it was, you know. We experience that when we get along uh, with with God's people and meet them. Did you know that they were the byproducts of people like Stephen and uh, direct converts of Philip? You remember those guys? And even Peter had preached in that area. You remember that? This is coming alive here. There they are. They're going in that uh, that area towards Jerusalem, and uh, these guys are just rejoicing. and And here it is. Paul and Barnabas are building up support. Phoenicia and Samaria. They're all agreeing with them and rejoicing. Yes, your doctrine is correct, and it's good to have people come alongside you at certain times like this to pray for you and to say, "Yes, you're right. You know, keep doing what you're doing." And uh, anyway, it says as they got to Jerusalem, when they arrived there, they were received by the church. They were welcomed by the church. It's an official type welcome, but I have to think that it was probably warm also. A warm welcome. Um, And I I like this. Uh, They're received by them. Of course, the apostles, the elders. And they reported all that God had done with them. They reported all that God had done with them. This had to take quite a lot of time. (laughs) Because God had done something special on that missionary journey. And of course, what's been happening at Antioch. There must have been quite a report. And the people in Jerusalem were glad to hear that. Uh, Sufficient evidence to show that there's salvation by grace. Who Who were the people that they mostly had ministered to on that first missionary journey? Gentiles. Pagans who then become Christians. They were saved by grace plus nothing. That's a good argument right there, right? Man, I'll tell you what. When Paul and Barnabas are talking about that, the Pharisees who are believers here in Christ, or so it says here, they were believers. Verse 5, some of the sect of the Pharisees some of those real legalists actually had professed Christ. Good belief stood up saying, yeah, but it's necessary to circumcise them. They're not going to let Paul and Barnabas get away with this free grace thing. That's not going to go over. They absolutely blew a gasket of what Paul and Barnabas are saying. When you teach election and predestination, people will blow a gasket. Oh, they'll get angry and mad. They don't want to hear free grace. You know, that that just can't be. So, controversy broke out afresh right there. I mean, they probably were ready to slug it out. But they were saying circumcision and law observance is absolutely essential. Pharisees were literalist. They actually took literal interpretation of Scripture. They believed in the resurrection. They believed in angels. They would be considered to be not liberal, but conservative. The Sadducees, there's no way that their view could ever be Christians because they didn't believe in resurrection. They didn't believe in the supernatural like angels and such. 
It'd be impossible unless a Sadducee is converted by Jesus Christ. Um, so, but here you have Pharisees who evidently had some kind of change. I have to wonder if they're all true believers. It says they're believers. They believed. I know in John 2, it, it also says that many people believed Jesus because of the miracles that He had done. But then it also says after that that Jesus also knew what was in their heart. So people can believe. Even the demons believe and they shudder, right? But um, at any rate, who knows? Some of these guys probably are true believers that they sure have a skewed view on salvation. So Peter, as there quite the discussion is going on, Peter is going to um, rise up here. The apostles, the elders, verse 6, came together to look into this matter. Okay, we've got to get together. It, it, it's an outrage. Things are going uh, pretty crazy here. And after there had been much debate, I'm sure it got loud. It got out of order. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, okay, Peter takes charge. And wouldn't that be the first guy you'd think probably ought to do that? This is the great apostle, Peter. And he's listed first in all the list of the apostles. Peter, James, John, Andrew. It's always that group of four. But who's always first? Peter. Who's always the one who opens his mouth? Peter. This time, Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit. And we have a threefold work of God here, of what he introduces here, um, starting in, in verse 7. And then 8 and 9, you'll see the threefold work of God. Peter starts with God. Remember how we always say everything always starts with God? It's too simple. But that's what it is. Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you. God's purpose. God's sovereignty. God's choice. Hmm that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. Here's what God had ordered it to do. He was going to use Peter. He says, He used me to go to the Gentiles first. And we know what happened, don't we? People know the story of Cornelius. That's a good argument that he starts with right off the bat because uh, it definitely made an aspect uh, where they had to pay attention to that. That was salvation by grace, wasn't it? And it's proven by past revelation. Past revelation. So he raises up, says God made a choice, and he's looking backwards here of of what has already happened. It's probably at least ten years ago now. That's how far we've come. And so he, you know, he's saying, you know, that God, by His own choice, His purpose, chose me to go to the Gentiles to preach the gospel, and that's how God got it started up. And he says, "Have you come up with something new? <laughs> God doesn't require anything else, and if that be the case, you're in a horrible position with what you're taking." Now, this is the same Peter that was in Antioch not too long back when Peter had to scold him and rebuke him. Even though he never bought the salvation by works anymore, he was in a very dangerous position. Uh, and 
and he didn't want the, the Jews to think that you know he was all the way over here to the Gentiles. This kind of make him kind of look bad, so he kind of quit eating with the Gentiles, and um, that's why Paul had to rebuke him. So, you know, Peter's like saying, if you've got a higher morality than God, then where does that put you and where does that put God? So, so he starts off with that. This, um, I think, in Galatians 2... Verse 7... But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, that's Paul, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. Anyway, uh, Peter got it started. We know Paul winds up going to the Gentiles the rest of the way. And by the way, after chapter 15, that's it for Peter. And from there on, as far as Acts is concerned, it's going to be Paul. It's mainly kind of been that way recently, but Peter pops up in in this uh, uh, council at Jerusalem. But for the most part, the gospel is going out, and that's where Paul is going to be going. Um, The next thing is the giving of the Spirit. That's the next thing that um, Peter uses here in verse 8. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He did also to us. They have the Holy Spirit. The Gentiles have the Holy Spirit. Just like we have the Holy Spirit. God who knows the heart. By the way, um, knows the heart, that, literally it's heart knower. Or it's cardio nostase. Cardio, that's easy, isn't it? Cardio heart, nostase, to know. To really know intimately. By by giving the Holy Spirit, and of course there's there's no racial barrier as He gave or as He bore witness to them or as He showed His approval of them by giving them the Holy Spirit. So that second proof is really powerful, isn't it? The Holy Spirit. Did you know that God actually gave testimony of the uh, genuineness of their salvation by grace by giving them the Spirit? Same way we got the Holy Spirit. It's all from God. Yes? One thing I remember from Greek class, I have a little note in here where he said, um, give them the Holy Spirit did us. That word is isotom, comma, and iso means the same. So it's the same for the Jew and the Gentile. Exactly. But equal. That's that, and that's the whole point of what this is all about. Of course, the Jew, Judaizers actually want to make equal, but they have to come over and be what we because they're not equal. So it's not the same way. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, in Romans. As in Romans 8, as many as are the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. So all believers have the Holy Spirit. So you have God's choice of Peter to the Gentiles uh, immediately at first, and then the giving of the Holy Spirit. And so Peter's saying, hey, if it's not enough that 
you've seen past revelation. If that's not enough for you, and we know that God didn't require legalism or uh, circumcision there, and if that's not enough, then we have the Holy Spirit also, right? Well, how about this for truth? He goes one step further. And we go into the next verse. Verse 9. And He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. God doesn't cleanse people who are not truly converted, right? Right. God cleansed them. And that was the whole idea of what circumcision really was. It, It was a real thing that happened that showed the spiritual cleansing inside it, the spiritual circumcision. And so that's really what um, is he, he's hitting on here. And the fact that they were purified in their hearts by faith means it's enough. It's enough. God made them holy, didn't He? Uh, look at Ephesians 1.7. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Sins taken away. Guilt taken away. Forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Forgiveness of sin. A cleansing. God takes away the sin. God makes them holy. And that settled it. So Peter uses uh, what... God had done in choosing him. Then he uses the illustration of the Holy Spirit. They have the Holy Spirit just like anybody else. What? Why would it take anything else for them to come in? They already have the Holy Spirit. And what were the Jews earlier saying? Unless you do the law and the circumcision, you cannot be saved. And Peter draws up this threefold work that God had done. And then, if that's not enough, Verse 10, Now therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? (laughs) We couldn't ever follow it anyway. You want to go by the law and such, right? Just following um, the matter very well. I can think in Matthew 11 where Jesus talks about having a yoke, but the yoke is taken off. Yeah, Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Very familiar passage. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yoked to Christ? Can't think of anything better. It's a gentle yoke. And of course, they had one that nobody could bear anyway. And he says, But we believe, here we go, folks, too basic to us, and you might miss it because we just hear it all the time. This is most important. But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. Now you notice what He did this time? We're saved just as they are saved. They're saved and so we're saved just like them. (laughs) Interesting. 
God makes no distinction. The central theme of Peter's testimony, God made no distinction. God gave the Spirit to them as well as us. Grace and faith makes all this fellowship possible. What a thought. That's justification by faith. Grace, isn't it? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. That seems too simple. But that is rather profound because no other religions believe in that. That's what it's about. Turn back to chapter 10, verse 15. Again, a voice came to him a second time. This is Cornelius. What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. There were, we were talking about, you know, of course, the whole idea of the Peter's vision and the animals, and he's showing that there's a there's a change being made. And then you look at verse 20, and this was Peter. But get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them uh, myself. Uh, tell you what. Um, I have time to go through this. Um, what Peter has done is built up the argument that they're not going to have an answer to. And he started with God. He ends with God all the way through here. And then you have that 12th verse. And you'd like to know what Barnabas, Barnabas and Paul said. Um, look, at, look at the first few words of verse 12. Though. All the people kept silent. How are you going to argue with what Peter has just done? They could stop right there. The deal should be done. The people kept silent. They were listening to Barnabas and Paul. After Peter, you have Paul and Barnabas. What a conference that this must have been. As they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And that's it. Just one verse. But that's about all you need because you remember that that missionary journey, all the Gentiles that were becoming saved and all the miracles, the wonders, everything that, that confirmed the very grace, truth that had been preached by them and then uh, what had happened as a result of that. So um, that's what came up next. They talk about what this and they confirm that the Word of God was preached. People became saved. And there you go again. Yeah. You have Peter, you have Paul, and Barnabas. And that's where we're going to stop tonight. And then you will have the one who is the head of the church in Jerusalem, Jesus' half-brother himself, James. And you remember that there were Judaizers that were supposed to have been sent by James, like to Antioch. That wasn't true although he's back in Jerusalem and he's representing as being head of the church, it wasn't that he sent them out so that they would be teaching circumcision and the law. Not at all. He knew grace also. And that's what we'll see uh, next week in his uh, sermon, which he has the most verses. But he's just in agreement with what the other ones are saying. By the time this is over, there is it's stamped. You're saved by grace through faith. That not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. <laughs> and so simple to us, but don't ever take it for granted because that grace message 
is devilish to most people. They don't like the grace message. It's hard to believe. I can't even imagine why wouldn't anybody want grace. It's either that or your self-righteousness. Yourself. Yeah. And which means you get some glory. Very important, this first council was. And as the church goes on, it, it has more down through the years and they argue over things that had to be dealt with major, major portions of what the gospel is about. It's the very heart of the gospel. Yeah. Always has to be fought against. 